second part. Before we do, let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have given us this accurate written record of the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we read it today, as we've done so, so many times before. That you'd help us to find something new in it, something fresh that speaks to our hearts and our minds this time of year. And as we come to you, we do pray for things like the, uh, uh, the passion play that will happen in Trafalgar Square tomorrow and all the messages about Jesus' death and resurrection that will go around London this weekend. And we do pray that there would be many thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, who would come to faith in Jesus Christ. But now, Lord, help us. Uh, let us draw closer to you as we reflect on your crucifixion. In Jesus' name, amen. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and they divided them into four parts, one part for each shoulder, soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When she saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. It is finished, probably one of the most profound statements that we have, and certainly one of the most powerful things of anybody who said in terms of their last words, it is finished. But we don't often reflect on what Jesus meant, on the implication of that phrase, it is finished. Uh, the translation here is uh, actually everything is accomplished, everything is completed, everything is finished. But what was finished? What was Jesus declaring as he was there on the cross and he said, it is finished? Well, I'd like to suggest four things today. First of all, when Jesus declared, it is finished, it is accomplished, it is complete, he was declaring 
that all of the prophecies concerning his life and death had been fulfilled. If you want to know whether or not Jesus is true, whether or not the story is accurate, all you need to do is look at all of the prophecies that were there about his life and his death. From the place where he would be born all the way to the manner that he would die and things like the the dividing of his garments. There are a number of prophecies, uh, more than 20 prophecies in the Old Testament, and there's many, many more than that, but many more than 20 prophecies about the life and death of Jesus that when he was hanging there on the cross, he said, it is finished. Now someone a number of years ago calculated the odds of Jesus just accidentally fulfilling all these prophecies on his own from where he was born uh, on down to the way that he would die. And they determined that the odds were about the same as putting, we'd say, a silver dollar in the United States. It's about the size of a a two-pound coin. Uh, Putting two-pound coins over all of the state of Texas. Now, the state of Texas is probably three, four times bigger than the United Kingdom. Uh, so putting those all over the state of Texas, two feet high, about knee high, and then you take a blind person, you paint one of those two-pound coins red, and you take a blind person and put them in the middle of the state, and that blind person picks one coin. The odds of Jesus fulfilling all of those prophecies by accident are the same as that blind person picking one two-pound coin and that two-pound coin he picks being the one that was painted red. In other words, it's virtually impossible. And so when Jesus was there on the cross, he said it is finished. And certainly one of the things that he accomplished, that he completed, were all the prophetic words that had been spoken about him. I turn myself off to cough and then sometimes I don't get, get, it back well, get it back on. When he said also it is finished, I think too, he was declaring the truth of what Pilate had inscribed on the cross. Pilate, as you know, uh, didn't really want to crucify Jesus. He tried to crucify Barabbas instead. He wanted to, get, he wanted to give Jesus back not put him to death, but the crowd said, crucify him, crucify him. And so Pilate, when he sent Jesus away to be crucified, he also inscribed on a a plaque to be put on the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And so when Jesus declared that it is finished, He was declaring that all the prophecies about the house of David and how the Messiah would come out of the house of David, how those prophecies had been completed in him and that he, as he hung there on the cross, was truly the king of the Jews and the anointed one, the Messiah, that had been prophesied and promised that would be sent. Jesus was living and dying in a fulfillment of what God had promised his servant David and what God had promised the Jewish people all the way back from the time of Abraham when he said, from your seed will come, from your seed will come the one who will save. 
From your seed will come the one who will redeem people. From your seed will come the salvation of the world. And so in that, when Jesus said, it is finished, he certainly was declaring that. A third thing, perhaps, that Jesus was saying when he said, it is finished, was that his work of atonement for us was completed. In the cross, Jesus did everything that was prophesied of the Messiah in Isaiah 53. In fact, going back to the whole issue of prophecies, for decades, if not centuries, Jewish scholars had tried to figure out who Isaiah 53 was referring to. And many people had ideas, and they put forward the ideas. The problem is that there, nobody fit the prophecy. Nobody fit the understanding of Isaiah 53. And even all the way up until today, we cannot find any other person in history that even remotely could have fulfilled Isaiah 53, and even remotely who would have been the accomplishment of Isaiah 53, except for Jesus. And this even baffles many liberal scholars today who would like to deny the truth of the Bible, who would not like to deny the, the prophecies of the Bible and say that they were written after the fact and prophesied to something in the past rather than something in the present. It's a very complex thing and it's as ridiculous as it sounds. But Isaiah 53 always causes them problems. And what is Isaiah 53? It's the great passage of Isaiah about the suffering servant. It says that all we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on him, that is the suffering servant, the iniquities of us all. So in the cross of Christ, in the cross of Christ, Jesus in that moment bore all of our iniquities. Now the word iniquity here, is about our brokenness. Iniquity, as a, a word talking about sin, and it does refer to sin, but as a word talking about sin, it means the brokenness that we have as human beings because of sin, and then how we act out of that brokenness. Every day, even the best of us realize that we've been wounded, we've been damaged by life, many of us are tired and weary, and sometimes we act in ways that are not the way that we want to act. We're not intending to, to go astray. We're not intending to do anything against God's will. We want to please God or honor God. Uh, yet we still, no matter how hard we try, we have this tendency to do things that are displeasing to God and do things that we don't want to do. Even Paul talked about that himself in Romans chapter 7. He says, you know, the things I, I don't want to do, those are the things that I do, and the things that I do want to do, I don't do. You know, what a wretched guy I am. You know, what is the antidote for this? And Isaiah told us, and Paul himself also told us, the antidote is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus took upon himself our brokenness as human beings and everything we do out of that brokenness and he bore that in himself on the cross and he redeemed us in the cross so that we don't have to live out of that brokenness any longer. So the Lord God laid on Jesus all of our iniquities all of our brokenness and everything we do out of that brokenness, he bore that. 
Not only that, he also bore our sinfulness. He bore those things that we do that that are displeasing to God, that we know that we shouldn't do, but we're doing them anyway. And Jesus paid the price for that in the cross. But as we know in that great passage in Isaiah 53, it also gives us another promise. It says, by his wounds, we are healed. We are restored. So the promise there is not that Jesus just takes the punishment for our sins, not that he bears the the consequences of our brokenness and our actions, but that also in the cross of Christ, by the wounds that he suffered there, in that we also have our healing. The word there for healing, uh, and it's the word, same same it's in the Greek word, is also in the the, uh, Hebrew word, The word for healing doesn't just mean physical healing. It means healing of our total person. So when a person is set free from the demonic, biblically they're being healed. When a person has their finances restored, they're being healed. When a relationship is being restored, that's healing. When the land itself is restored, that is healing. And what Isaiah is saying there and what Jesus was declaring there on the cross is that in him, that prophecy is fulfilled so that by his wounds that he was bearing there on that cross, through those wounds, we have our healing, not only in this life, but also in the life to come, but certainly a healing that starts in this life, even if it's not completed in this life. We experience that, and Jesus declared, it is finished, it is complete, and so we have confidence going before God and crying out to experience the healing for which Jesus paid by the wounds that he bore there on the cross. And so in that moment, when Jesus declared, it is accomplished, it is finished, he certainly was declaring the truth of that. But there's one other thing that I'd like to suggest. And we find this in Colossians. When Jesus said, it is finished, not only was he fulfilling the prophecies, Not only was he being established as the king of the Jews, the Messiah, the fulfillment of the promise to the Jewish people, not only was he bearing our wounds there and also our iniquities and our brokenness there, but when he declared it is finished, he was also declaring the defeat of Satan in that moment. John tells us in 1 John that the reason the Son of God came Uh, appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Paul tells us in Colossians that Jesus made a public spectacle of the principalities and powers, disarming them in the cross. In that moment when Jesus said it was finished, Satan knew that he was defeated. He didn't really know everything that was going on, I believe, up until that time. He thought that he was going to win. He thought that he would have the victory but in that moment, as, as uh, uh, the Apostle Mark, uh, uh, excuse me, Apostle Matthew tells us, the temple, the veil in the temple was torn in two. In that moment, we had access to God. And in that moment, the devil. In that moment, Satan was defeated, and all of his power was disarmed. 
And the ultimate end of Satan had begun when Jesus said, it is finished. So when we gaze on our Lord Jesus Christ hanging there on the cross, we know that when he declares it is finished, it means so much more than he was going to die and that he would give up his, his spirit. It tells us that the work that God sent Jesus to accomplish had been accomplished. It tells us that the promises that God had made to us had been fulfilled and will be fulfilled ultimately and gives us the confidence to go forward no matter our brokenness, no matter our sinfulness, no matter our weakness, no matter the battles that we are facing, no matter how Satan seems so strong against us sometimes, it gives us the confidence to go forward that just as Jesus declared it is finished for him, he was also declaring it is finished for us who have faith in him and have been united with him in his death and ultimately in his resurrection. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you and praise you and honor you that Jesus accomplished everything that you had for him to accomplish. We thank you for the declaration, it is finished. The reality of that for us. As we go forth into this weekend, I pray that you give us the confidence to live boldly for Jesus so that we too at the end of our lives might declare faithfully as he did it is finished we have accomplished all that you have for us to the glory and praise of Jesus Amen <laughs>